Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 124. Cast thee to the depths of the breach beyond the gates of Aeon's End. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to, to the One Player Podcast. Um... Uh, a fun show. This is a new show. We're trying out something different, thanks to the s- listener survey that we that Julius posted a few weeks back. Um, yeah, by something different, he means a lot different. A lot different. Brand new podcast. One player podcast. New, improved, version 2.0. That's right. And the biggest change is we're not going to be talking about automotive transmission instead of board games. <laughs> no, that's not it. I don't want to. I'm not very good with cars. <laughs> Neither am I. And, um... We're also going to have less banter as a story. So let's just jump straight into the news, I guess. I, we don't have a lot of news this time, um, but the BGG Awards did just happen, and there's a surprising number of solo-friendly games in the in the winning. Do you, do you follow the awards at all, Julius? Uh, no. Okay. I, I, I tend not to pay attention to them a lot. I, I voted for the solo game. I didn't vote for any other categories at all. Um, I mean, here's my problem with the BGG Awards specifically. With the BGG Awards, it's really a popularity contest. With something like, I mm-hmm. feel, Spiel des Jahres, or really with the Dice Tower Awards, it's a moderated set done by reviewers who are actually comparing you know, whether or not a game is more well-designed. They're taking into account actual factors and guidelines for it. With this one... It's a big, massive vote where mm-hmm. everyone gets to say which ones they like and which ones they don't. Yep. Yeah. But in theory, you know, it, it is a, a vote about popularity, and this way you get to find out the most popular games of the year, which with that many voters may actually be a meaningful thing. I, d- I don't know. But you probably already knew about the most popular games of the year. Yes, but uh, I was still nonetheless surprised. For example, the solo game category, the, the winner was Scythe, which is excellent. Congratulations, everybody involved in that. Morden and Jamie and all the others. I don't know all the names. I'm sorry. Uh, first runner-up was Terraforming Mars, and second runner-up was Arkham Horror, the living card game, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people expected that one to win. Do they? I that's that's what I kept men- seeing people mention. Oh, because the because I've been seeing so much of the uh, solitaire games on your table lists that it just seemed like a likely uh, <laughs> contender there. It's it's a little funny that we assume that because it's winning on solitaire games on your table, it's going to win the BGG Solo Game Awards. <laughs> is in solitaire games on your table BGG? Is that the same thing? We are BGG. <laughs> I don't think we're all of BGG. Huh, there's another section to it. I didn't know that. I have to go yeah, look there, so I can there find There is it. more of BGG <laughs> than just our podcast chat here. Hmm. Okay. Well, so so that was pretty exciting. Three three big games. I, I tell you, I'm now very interested in Scythe. I have not played it, but I really want to try it out. I have played Scythe, but only multiplayer. Someone in my game group owns it. I have never played it uh, solitaire. Although from listening to people on the guild, I've heard a lot of people talk about how the game would have been a lot better or plays a lot better if you use two audacities at the same time. Automos, excuse mm-hmm. me, at the same time. <laughs> yes, I have heard that too. Yep. So okay, so maybe maybe if I get it, I'll try that. But uh, we'll have to see. The um, the next category that I want to mention is war games. There's the the winner oh, of God. that was well. This was interesting. Falling Sky: The Gaelic Revolt was the winner. Congratulations! That I don't remember the designers, 
but that is part of the coin series, Contrainsurgency series. Albert, last year. This is last year. Albert, 2016 is calling here okay. again. So this is a one to four player game, which is pretty pretty neat. The sec the one of the runner ups was Liberty or Death, the American Revolution, a, a, another coin game, also from GMT. Um, uh, this is another game I've really been interested in, actually. And the third, uh, win- I guess the second runner-up, the third winner, Comancheria, which is another GMT game that was released. So all three GMT games, and this one is solitaire only. So the the war game category, all all the winners and runner-ups were solo-friendly or solo-specific games, which is pretty neat. That has been true in the past, I think. I am definitely interested in Liberty of Death. As a matter of fact, I had I had backed it in the P500 for the second printing. I didn't get it. I haven't followed up with them. Why not? Because that's been out, I think, for a month or two. So I need to look into that. It's a really nice-looking game. The, the third category to mention is print-and-play games. The winner of this was Star Trek The Dice Game. The first runner-up was Mini Rogue. And the second runner-up was 30 Rails. And I should say, I don't know if the first and second runner-up, if there is an order to them, if they're put in order, but that's the order they're listed. I think it's listed by order of voters. I assume by so. By its popularity. Yeah, I assume so too, but I don't really know that. But um, all three of these print-and-play games are one-player games. They're, they're specifically one-player games. So again, very exciting. I haven't played any of them. Um, Neither have I. <laughs> I hadn't heard of uh, the Star Trek dice game, honestly. I'm, I'm sorry to say. I've heard of 30 Rails, and I keep meaning to print it out and play it. The fourth category worth mentioning here is the co-ops, because often co-ops are all solo-friendly. The winner of the co-op section was Mechs vs. Minions, which is definitely solo-friendly. It was a game that's big news at the end of last year, too. You say that definitely. I have heard people play it solo. Um, I've, I've, it's a players against the dungeon. I suppose it's playable solo. The question of whether it's recommended to play it solo. I, yeah, I, so that's a good point. I don't actually know if it is or isn't. Uh, I know it's Players vs. Dungeon, and I've heard that it works, but I, I haven't really looked into it all. I'm playing through a campaign of it with my wife, and I think once I get through a whole campaign... Again, this is one that I'd like to review once I get the whole game under my belt, um, but I think I will talk about once I get to it. But there's an interesting mechanic with Mechs versus Minion that there's a drafting round, which is timed. So you have one minute to grab the cards, and then once you grab the cards, you're stuck with that. So depending on how you play that multiplayer, it's either harder or easier. Or, excuse me, depending on how you play it solitaire, rather, it's either harder or easier. If you stick with multiple players, like you say you're playing two separate mechs at the same time, because there's nothing that lets you control just one mech. It's not in the rules. You have mm. to control at least two. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you stick with the one minute for each, it's a bigger task on your brain to get to grab cards, understand what you want for both of them. And if you forget about it, it almost like part of Mexus's minions is to a certain degree the wildness of, oh, my, the robot that I just did, he kind of went all the way over there. And then it interacts with other people's plans in sort of wild ways. And it's that crazy interaction between them that I feel like comes from mechs versus minions. And when you're playing it solitaire, it loses some of that. Mm, okay. So it's not the same experience. Okay. I don't think so. Well, so maybe that one doesn't qualify as much worth mentioning on this show. Or maybe it does. I don't know. Um, I think, again, I'd like to get through the whole campaign yeah. and have a more dedicated time to it, but that's where I'm yep. leaning right now. Okay. Then the, the, the two runner-ups were Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, which is playable with an app and is solo-friendly, and finally Arkham Horror, the living card game. Um, 
definitely another Which is certainly solo friendly. Solo friendly. Yes. <laughs> so so yeah, this year the awards were extremely solo friendly. I think more than in the past. Um, you know, some sections like the co-op obviously are going to be solo friendly, uh, or very likely to be, but uh, solo games obviously very likely to be. But, I think that's again just a general trend that the industry is doing yep. to start including more solo friendly games. Uh, you know, for in terms of what the industry sees, it's just money sitting on the table. It's just an extra nice feature that is a competitive feature to make more people buy into your game. So they're just doing it more and more, which I think is really to the credit of the entire one-player guild in general to continue advancing that and making sure that we're taking a stand to show how popular and demanded it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I'll... So the last thing is just congratulations to all the winners. I'm sorry I don't know all the names and don't have the space here to say it, but uh, definitely congratulations. Uh, whatever anybody thinks of the award, it's still an accomplishment. But for more personal news, we did do this whole one-player podcast participation audi- uh, audience participation survey. And it's going to be closed, and at the end of the podcast, if you'll listen, we'll be announcing the winner of the $15 gift certificate to Miniature Market. That'll be coming up way at the end. We'll tack it on. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to spend a bit of time going through and giving our chance to sort of tell you how it is that we are going to be integrating the responses we got from this podcast survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're really interesting, I think, and very definitely very useful. So thank you, everybody that's participated. I, I definitely think so. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I feel we can certainly change about how we're how we're approaching some of the podcast, tidying it up. One thing that I saw a lot of people comment about is trying to create a shorter and tighter show. I was a little surprised to see that the large majority wanted the show to be set at sixty minutes mm-hmm. instead of say ninety. Yep, I, I was surprised by that too. Um, so, so we're going to try that this week already. And we did it last week by happenstance, but this well, by is happenstance, yes. yes. <laughs> but what we're going to be trying to do is we're going to be trying to work harder to try and schedule a podcast to, um, have a specific amount of time for how we're going to be putting things in. We're going to be trying to have our show notes really specifically say how long we're spending on topics to try and hold everything in and keep it all at 60 minutes and keep it flowing and moving through the different podcast sections. Uh-huh. So, you know, we wouldn't be Albert and Julius if we had trouble with that, because I, I know the last segment already ran over about two or three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it did. And I think we're going to have to be aware of that as we continue on. So it's a work in progress. But a lot of people really have keyed in to the sort of podcast that we're trying to create, and yeah. we've talked about before. For Albert and me, this is really just a chance for us to sit around and chat about something it is that we love doing, playing mm-hmm. board games and playing board games solitaire. And that's really what we like. We just like sitting and having a chat. And we would be perfectly open to having other people join us in this chat, to having guild members join us in this chat, to you know talking about other things. We really don't mind. For us, we just like sitting and chatting and enjoying and having a good time getting more into our board games. Mm-hmm. That's really what we like doing. And we don't ever want the feeling behind the show to change from that. We really always want to be just, you know, just sit down and join us and listen in. That's really always what we're trying to look for. So even though we're trying to sort of condense it and tie it up, we don't want it to be that we have like a set of cue cards that we're rolling off. Like (laughs) when you're doing a written podcast review, 
it can very much feel like here's the written podcast review and i'm going to say it all to you in audio form i'm just going to read it off the cue cards i cringe when i hear one like that (laughs) right so for us we really always want it to be sort of naturally flowing and just go that's really what we're looking for so thank you listeners for the server responses albert i'm gonna throw something at you So let's go through the responses. Let's let's see. We we had a number of questions. So let, let's go through them one at a time. I think that'd be interesting. I think that'll take up too much time, Albert. That's boring. Everyone else can read through it one at a time. Let's talk about things that uh, we thought are important. Um. Okay. I'm going to go through them one at a time and look at the ones that I think are important. And I'll comment on those. So we talked about the length. That's the first one. Look at that. We're on track. The next thing yeah, we talked. The next question was about the segments we want to see more of. Um. I think we're doing okay here. I think there's a lot of general agreement with, with our philosophy. We we like guest hosts. Here's something interesting. There are mm-hmm. more people who wanted to see old game reviews than new game reviews. That I want to make sure I understand terms, by the way, here. Old game reviews, for me, means games published more than a year ago. And new games uh-huh. are games published within a year. I assume old that's Old games does not mean re-reviews. I know that there's some other podcasts that re-review a game that they've previously reviewed, how they've done it before. That's not going to happen here. Yeah, no, not, <laughs> not, not for me. Not very likely, unless there's a huge change in the game or something like that. Otherwise, not, not going to happen. Yeah, for the most part, my opinions on solo games tend not to change. We try and get in a fair amount of plays before we review a game. For me, I'm usually trying to get in around six plays of a game, if if not more, before we talk about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And continuing to play it more, the only time it'll change is if, like, when I was doing Wizards Academy and I realized I was doing something wrong, and that changed my opinion of a part of the game. And I talked about that later. So I think that's the only time where it would change my opinion. The only other time it would change is if because of the nature of the podcast that we continue to play more games, something just has entirely dropped off my, my table and I don't play it anymore. Like another game, Dreamscape, which is a small drafting style game where you create a tableau across and matching symbols. An excellent game, but I wasn't playing it enough, so I actually traded it away to pick up some other games because I simply wasn't playing enough because I continue to get more games. This is the only time it's going to change. Uh, yeah, another thing people seem to like a lot is a top ten list, uh, which I found interesting. You know, Julius and I were talking this before the show, before we started recording, unfortunately. But the the idea of a top ten list to, to me is a little weird um, to both of us because it's hard to rank a game. Um, if you ask me my top ten games in any category, it's going to change from week to week. So, so mm-hmm. saying this, this is my top ten. I'd rather say these are ten games in this category they like, and, and not necessarily try and rank them, uh, mm-hmm. but list them and discuss them and what what I like about them, why I think they they match that category well. And, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against doing that. I think leading into Merrips at least in our feedback idea would be better. Like I've seen some people ask for recommendations for things. The low player count does an interesting segment where they do if you can buy just one game, uh, where they. Pick a topic like buy just one drafting game. So if you're interested in drafting games, there's a whole bunch of recommendations. That's a more the sort of thing we would do. They already have that covered, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really feel like there's a need for us to then do it again. But they kind of are already doing that, and I pick up brand, I pick up ideas and themes and topics from them. 
Yep. Also, but things that I want to it, listen it, to more. If you send us feedback and you ask us, you know, what games we'd recommend in a category, we'll be happy to answer that. Honestly, you'd be better off going to the one-player guild and, you know, get that group thing where there's so many more people. And you're going to get way more answers. So we're going to have to talk and see what ideas we can come up with. And we want to hear more feedback about the sort of topic and ideas we can do for questions that we can answer or for recommendations that we can answer or for top 10 lists you guys want to hear. But I think we want to hear more about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, one other interesting thing about the old game versus the new game ideas. Even though there's a slight edge on old games versus new games in the feedback... I don't see that for the downloads. When we review a new game, like a hot game, we get more downloads for it than we do for old games. That's interesting. I hadn't noticed, I hadn't noticed that trend too much. But now I think about it, you're right. <laughs> we do. So this is curious. Why is it that people are posting more that they want to hear old game reviews instead of new game reviews? And why does that not match the download numbers? Maybe it's a difference between, you know, regular listeners versus somebody wanting information on a specific game. You know, if there's a brand new game, there's thousands of people wanting information on the game that are not listeners. And so they'll just attract more more downloads from people that do web searches or, or see a so link. So they'll the download it, but then not listen to it or something? They'll listen to it and then not subscribe to the podcast. They'll just hear that one mm. episode and move on. They just Maybe. wanted information on the game. Yeah, who knows? Like, uh, you know, pff, speculation. No idea. Mm-hmm. What, uh, let's move on to the next question. I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the first one, but here was, what segments do you like listening to? Really, the the only thing I got out of this was, is nobody likes what's missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, now some people do like it, but I was surprised how unpopular it was. Um, I've enjoyed doing it, and, you know, it, it's it's goofy, but it's fun. But people just don't, I guess people the, don't seem I to guess, care for I it. I guess we're not entertaining. That's what it is. That may be. Maybe we have to go to an improv class. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we will. There's a number of other podcasts that have this sort of end cap or this goofy mm-hmm. competition or something that is not part of the game review and really the game thing. It's just sort of an added on thing. I don't know. I like listening to those and I like doing the what's it missing. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's just absolutely no demand for that. Yeah, so out it goes. The the, the one show that I know of that does something like that is the, the Spiel, the Spiel. And uh, what they used to do, they don't do it anymore, is a game sommelier where they would pick five games to match the category, and they come up with all sorts of crazy categories. Mm-hmm. And then the other host has a a week until the next episode to come up with uh, five games that match it. Well, That's I mean, it. I know of a bunch of other ones that yeah. do the sort of. End I'm cap sure there's thing. many. And that, that was interesting because it, at least it was semi-informative. Because if I actually did Very care about knitting games, well, you know, now here's somebody talking about knitting games. <laughs> well, are, I thought you meant that it was very interesting hearing that a bunch of people didn't like the What's It Missing section. Oh, no, that well, that too. That too. I, I found, <laughs> but I was talking still about the, the Spiels segment being interesting. Okay. Anyway, let's move on. I'm surprised nobody commented, by the way, on the one little joke we had on here. I mean, just to make a comment on this idea about a thread on the guild, I think I made a mention of this on the thread itself. But, um, you know, I, we, I have personally been holding back from making a thread on the guild like that because it's clear from the download numbers that there are more people on the guild who do not listen to our show than do listen to our show. Mm-hmm. So 
if we're having these threads coming up every other week, then I feel like the more people are going to not care about it, and then it's just going to be sort of taking up space and spamming the guild. Yeah. Apparently, which is nice for me to hear, the listeners don't agree. Or they don't care. <laughs> or they don't care, I suppose. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, most of those uh, 6,000 guild members are sock puppets anyway, right? So so there's 88 mm. actual listeners that that want the threads, and the rest are just sock puppets. That could be. <laughs> so we're going to start doing that, and we're mm-hmm. going to see how that goes. But I did have the joke in there that we should spam someone else's forum yeah. space. Some people like it. <laughs> Does the one-player podcast influence your buying habits? We do. That's that's nice to know that it's not entirely uh, a waste of time to do this. We're rated pretty well. We're about three and a half stars average. Not bad. You could say that pretty well. I want to get up to four stars. Well, you know, I'm an amateur, so any stars is fine for me. Albert, that's not good enough for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get better. That's what's not good enough for me. So after improv school, we'll go to broadcast school. <laughs> All right. There was a couple things that people mentioned that, or at least that I brought up, the idea of doing a consistent and published release schedule. The reason why this came up is because I am, for those who know, I'm a solo attorney, solo practicing attorney. And there's a type of marketing that people talk about, which is sort of similar to a podcast, where when you're a content creator, you want to make sure that content is always coming out on a very specific schedule, and it's coming out regularly. And I know with this recording, because Albert and I are swapping off editing, sometimes it'll be available earlier than others. Like Albert, for example, can can edit Saturdays. I have to edit on Sundays. So we've just sort of been saying, well, when one person finishes it, we just upload it. But I think we can probably agree that it would be better if the podcast were coming out at a consistent time each time. So we're going to be setting it, and I think Albert's in agreement about this Mm -hmm. one, to have the podcast come out every other Monday at 6 p.m. Central time. Eastern time. Eastern time, Albert... (laughs) I was just joking because you said we agree. <laughs> yeah, Central Time is fine. 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. Monday nights. Smashing. So I think that'll be nice. I think that will you know, make sure that people know when it's coming out. I feel like that's something, something to look forward to, hopefully. <laughs> um, one more thing that I saw a bunch of people were chatting about is that sometimes when we're talking about games, I want to play the game that Albert will have or Albert will have played a game that I won't have. Because of the way we're set up to run this, that just sort of has been happening for a number of reasons. One reason is, is um, I don't know that I necessarily have the same issue as Albert, but when Albert was recording this before I came on, the show was coming out like once every three weeks, right, yeah, Albert? Three to four weeks. I think it's about three and a half average, yep. And, and that was just simply because that's how long it would take me to, to play a new game and learn it and play it enough times to be able to talk about it. Um, yeah, I, I just couldn't get it out more often than that. And that so used to I, be the biggest complaint. People would complain, you know, I like this show, I just wish it was more regular. So I don't think I have the same issue. I think I can probably do a game every two weeks and be able to know it and understand it and play it enough to be able to really get a good review of it out. Um, but that is one of the things that having both of us on the show, when you're playing multiplayer games... It's easier to, I, I feel like it's easier to necessarily get get more understanding of it because someone else can help you understand the rules. You can get more gameplays of it in. 
um, when you're also doing multiplayer because, surprise, I probably play 50-50 with my gaming time. Half, probably half the time I'm playing solo and half the time I'm playing multiplayer. So playing it also multiplayer helps get that in. And I believe that I probably could do it once every two weeks. But that, that's one issue is that at least Albert, I don't necessarily know yeah. that I would, but at least Albert needs more time to be able to play it. So when I came on, the idea was that by alternating sort of responsibility for having played a game and, and delving into enough to be able to review it, that takes some of the pressure off Albert so we can have a more consistent show. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes the games do overlap, but just not always. The other issue that, that comes up is really one of cost. Um, we do get some review copies. We have never gotten two review copies. And when we get, even when we get review copies, we only get one review copy. And when we don't get review copies, we're buying these games ourselves because we are interested in these games and we want to play it. Mm-hmm. First, that's a cost to be able to buy a second copy or to buy a copy and then ship it. It's an extra cost to be able to do that. Also, if one of us is buying a game because we're interested in it, we don't necessarily yep. want to ship it over to the other person because yep. we we want the game. <laughs> and, yeah, and if the other one isn't interested in it, well, you know, I don't want to spend that money on the game if I don't like it. Right. So it becomes it becomes a cost issue is really what it comes down to. And we heard, you know, we heard the call. We've heard other people want to help us out with making sure. I know that we've had some audio feedback bugs, and I know that's because of aging computers that CPUs get overtasked trying to run the recording of this and trying to do the editing, and it happens. And so we're posting up a Patreon, and we're going to put a link in the show notes to the Patreon site. It's patreon-oneplayerpodcast, and it's also going to be on our website. And so we're putting up a Patreon, and there's some special rewards and things that you can get over on that Patreon site. So go check it out. So we're we're going to be giving some advance. Uh, you get to have an advanced notice of what the next podcast is going to be about. You're going to get the chance to you know email back to us. You get a couple extra special goodies like the one postcard podcast. And so there's going to be some cool stuff that are going to be coming out of that Patreon. That's our hope. I don't want it to be a Patreon that has just give us money because we want to keep doing the episode. I want to have it be that you feel rewarded for backing on Patreon. And I also don't want anyone to feel like they have to back it on Patreon. It's not necessary. We don't ever have to do it. We've never wanted to have any advertising for the podcast. Uh-uh. We've never put any advertising on the podcast, unless you count reviewing games as advertising, and maybe you do. <laughs> but it's but. not helping the cost anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So, you know, we, we've never really had any... We've never had any advertising. We've never wanted to do advertising. So we're we're changing it a little by throwing in the Patreon. And we're hoping that we're going to get a good response to that. Mm-hmm. But we don't want anyone to feel like they need to. If we get a really good response to a Patreon, so that means that we'll have more opportunities to make sure that you know, when there's a game that both of us are interested in or that both of us have some interest in, that both of us will be able to play the games so we can really chat about it together and make sure that we're getting a full deep dive into it and a lot of feedback and conversation as opposed to just one person being able to talk about the game. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that's one 
that's one of the two most important things I think I've seen a bunch is being able to make sure both of us have played the game. The other and most important thing, and I'm leaving it till now so we can sort of move on into the actual review, we are going to be restructuring how we're going to be doing our game reviews. Um, the style that we're going to have is we're going to be having a shorter rules and introduction to the game. We're going to be aiming for it to be about four minutes long. And that's just going to introduce to you the rules for the game, how the game plays, and the overview of the thematic uh, idea to the game. After that, we're going to be going through different aspects of the game in a more structured format. So it's hopefully easier to follow, easier to listen to, and easier to, to grasp. So we're going to be talking about the rules. And that's going to cover how easy is it to learn the rules. You know, as a solitaire gamer... Nobody is around to teach you the rules. Nobody else is around to help you learn the rules or to go through it with you. So you got to be able to understand the rules, how well they're written, how well they're presented. That's the rules section. Then we're going to be talking about the components, what comes in the box, how nice it's done, quality, things like that. And then we're going to talk about gameplay, new mechanics, easy to understand, easy to implement, how we feel about actually playing the game. Then we're going to talk about the theme, how much we like the theme, if we're biased because of the theme, if the theme integrates well into the mechanics, things like that. Then we're going to talk about solo versus multiplayer. I know that we have some listeners out there who do not play multiplayer games. I am not one of those. So for me, I want to maximize my value from the game, and I think there's a number of listeners that also want the same. So I want to know both how well it plays solo, how well it plays multiplayer, and what the sort of differences are between those two. Like, is it wildly different playing it solo from multiplayer? Does it work better one or the other? Is the game worth getting just for solitaire play? So that will be that section. And then after that, Albert and I are going to do just an overall impression of the game. And we're going to give a quote-unquote rating. Our rating is going to be kind of vague. It's more like a Dice Tower rating. They're going to give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a neither. Because for me and Albert, like we were talking before with the top 10 system, we don't like rating our games on a 8.2 versus an 8.1 <laughs> or a specific listing. For us, it really comes down to, do we like the game? Do we not like the game? Or are we just okay about the game? Sometimes you hear us say, we really like the game. It's two thumbs up. That's, that's the biggest you'll get from mm-hmm. us. And, and, and the, you know, saying that uh, I don't rate games on PGG often, but when I do, I will give them ratings like 8.21. <laughs> I do not rate games on BGG. Uh, you know, I can say an 8. I say it's better than an 8. It's not quite a 9. It's like an 8.21. <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but I do. You know, it's the same with the microwave. When, when I put something in the microwave, I cannot do 60 seconds. I have to do 57 or 61 or something, but I cannot do an even number. Albert, you are a really <laughs> random person. That's what I'm going for, I guess. No. You are a really random person. <laughs> I try. Then and just to throw things off, sometimes I do it at a wrong number. Actually, I don't think I do. Gotta try. <laughs> You're a really <laughs> random person. You're yeah. crazy. Yep. <sighs> and so I think that's everything about this. I um, think that's everything we want to talk about about this podcast survey. Again, thank you so much to everyone who reached out about that. We want to continue to hear more feedback. We're going mm-hmm. to want to hear back from people with ideas for 
questions or recommendations for topics or things like that we're going to be making sure we're reviewing a good mix of old games and new games we're going to continue to get guest hosts on here we're going to continue to get guest interviews and we're going to be trying to tie it all up and see what all we can do mm-hmm and then maybe it'll work and maybe maybe we'll have to loosen the belt a little and tie it up to just 90 minutes we don't know how about you weird <laughs> all right so let's move on Speaking about how we're going to review games, Albert, what are we reviewing today? We're reviewing Aeon's End. And who published that game? Uh, published by Indie Boards and Cards. And Action Phase Games. And Action Phase Games. And the designer is Kevin Riley. It is a one to four player game. It's supposed to come in at about 60 minutes. Hmm, just like a podcast. Got any comments on any of that so far? <laughs> just like a podcast. That's fantastic. That would be excellent <laughs> so yeah so this is a deck building game also and it is a fantasy game with a, a i think a pretty dark fantasy setting i don't well we'll get back to that when we get to the mm-hmm. theme i think we will let's do the four minute overview yep right so Anne's end is a deck building game it is a deck building game in the style of dominion in which you're buying cards from a tableau of 10 cards 10 decks to pick from um each time you play you will you will randomly pick which cards you have available to buy so it changes from game to game um in this game you're you're not true hmm that's not true what do you mean you don't have to do it random the rules don't say you have to do it random oh i do it random you're right you don't have to do that would speed it up howard if we're gonna do a four minute rules (laughs) overview you gotta get the rules right man you gotta get the rules right it's right the way you know it, it does bring card randomizers so you could you could do that it, it, they include them so why would they include them if you don't randomize because you have the option you, to randomize you're it. saying they're just including extra content to just be extra nice that's Albert that's this weird. whole four minute over if you think is not working <laughs> that's not working well okay then start over quicker. again no no we aren't sorry we're just like okay. speed up <laughs> so so your heroes fighting this really bad monster it, it's sort of reminiscent of Sentinels of the Multiverse in that Sentinels of the Multiverse you're, you're heroes and you're fighting a big baddie same thing here except the big baddie is some sort of evil horrible netherworld goo um <laughs> goo as in great old ones I, it, to me the, the enemies are sort of reminiscent of Lovecraftian nemesis enemies but not really like them just like them four minutes over time's up um it's a deck building game you're fighting these things you there's like 10 different characters to pick from 10 different heroes they're all slightly different um one thing that's neat is each player each hero has a different starting deck um each hero has his own special card and i lost my train of thought go on julius your turn all right so hopefully that's enough the overview for people to grab the general idea of what it is that we're talking about let's talk about the different aspects of it then Okay, let's do that. All right, so the first thing we're talking about is the rules. Now, apparently Albert was having some difficulty already trying to read the rules correctly, but Albert, what did you feel about going over the rules? Um, I was very impressed with the rules. One thing I thought was really cool is it brings a sheet that tells you before you play the game, don't open all the decks, open A, B, and C, and use these for your first learning game. 
Um, and it sort of kind of walked you through everything nicely of, of how to set it up. Because otherwise, you know, when you start a deck building game, the first time you get all these decks and you don't know what cards you use and you use some components and others, it's always a little bit overwhelming. Especially if you're not a, a, a person that has played a lot of games of this type. And there are a lot of cards to the game, so it's very easy to get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's especially good that it warned you, do not shuffle the decks, because that's an interesting thing. The game, mm-hmm. typically, you don't... The only times you shuffle is going to be you shuffle the Nemesis deck at the start of the game. You don't shuffle your deck each time you do it. A standard deck-building game requires you to shuffle your deck each time you move your deck from the discard back to your deck. That doesn't happen. And they made that very clear immediately from the start to make sure you didn't do that. Big bold. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, um... The, and so the, having the, that one rule to, to give you the quick start, yeah. that was an excellent design decision. That was. And then that's the first thing in the box. After that, you have the... And it's a stop, stop. Don't don't read the rule book. Look at me first, right? The rule book itself is about 20 pages. Uh... 20 super simple to follow pages. It, it was quick. There's lots of pictures, so they're not hard, and, and everything's clear and in order, and, you know, you're playing pretty quick. Even if, if even if you didn't have that starter set, I, th- I think it would have been easy to learn the game without that welcome to the game open here first. I, I think, again, this is my issue with this is that if you're trying to refresh your familiarity of the game because... I, I don't have a copy of it. I borrowed a copy of it in order to, you know, we're trying to, again, have both of us play the game when we can. So I borrowed a copy of it, and I had played this when it actually first came off of Kickstarter at my friend's house. And so I borrowed the copy when we were going to be doing this. And so I was trying to look to get a refresher for how to play the game and, you know, simply how to do a setup and it was hard for me to figure that out without having to like read through the whole book and go step by step. It's not really clear if you're like, okay, I just need quickly. Mm-hmm. How do I set it up without having to work the whole thing? Just just give it to me easy. It wasn't there. Okay, I, I could see that. I, I may, I've, My plays have all been pretty close together. I've played over the last two weeks, you know, a couple times on the weekend normally. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been fresh in my mind. So I didn't have trouble with that. But I could see where you're saying. I could see where you're going with that. Yeah, because the especially the fact that the Nemesis setup goes over so many pages, and like yeah. what I'm trying to do it the best thing, the basic when you're setting up the game, there's the Nemesis deck that is specific to the enemy that you're facing this time, and there's a set of basic generic enemy cards, and you'll mix in a certain amount of cards with the same amount of other cards as part of the setup. It's buried a couple pages over. And oh, so many, mm-hmm. so many pages to get through for setup. I, I so wish there was a quick reference sheet too, because yeah, I, I, I kept finding, like today I went to play and I, I was annoyed that I had to go dig in the book to find a chart telling me how many cards to include of each type. I wish yes, I was like a, the back cover or something somewhere else. Handy. A quick setup page yep. is really what this is missing. Mm-hmm. It comes with sets of cards. There's player aid cards for, for quick how to play, but there's not a quick setup. It needs a quick setup. It super needs a quick setup, and it's missing. Mm-hmm. I think other Hurts. than that, I, th- I do think the rulebook was well done. Everything is is clear if you go through it. Uh, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to, if you don't mind taking your time reading through rules, it's fine. If you really want to jump in and start playing, yeah, it's gonna slow you down. But I think it was well, well done. I think that the point is that they give you the 
quick start, which I think they're learning mm-hmm. from Fantasy Flight, who were the first ones to start this. But it's got a quick start rule book that is literally two pages long. It's one page double-sided. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It is so fast to start playing. Yep, 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 yep. You could almost so, use that to, as your quick start rules, maybe. Not quite. No, almost. it doesn't work. Yeah. It, I'm holding it in my hands. No, yeah. it doesn't work. You'd have to highlight it some. The, um, all right, so, so after the rules, what do you think of the components? Flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was quite disappointed with the cards and the dividers especially. They're, they're made out of the same – they're not high-quality f- cards. And then, they're a thin cardstock for the cards, yeah. and none of my cards laid flat. I'm sorry, none oh. of my, none of my, not my cards. None of my um, the player boards are thicker card stock, thicker card board rather. Um, none of them lay flat with mine. I had to press all of them down in order to get them to lay flat on the table. Oh, I haven't had any trouble like that. Oh, really? Well, yep. that's good. All of mine did not lay flat, okay. which bugs me. <laughs> so I will say the the game was brand new. I had just taken out a shrink, so maybe that develops over time. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's not an old game. This is this goes in the category of new game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The I don't know. Other other than that issue, I guess I thought the boards were fine. I liked them. Um, the everything and there is clear and easy to find. Mm-hmm. The, I think in terms of art and presentation. And font, I don't have any issues with any of that. The game comes with your standard uh, poker-sized cards for your abilities and your square-sized cards for your breaches, which are where you put your magic spells down. All Mm -hmm. of those, you know, the art is fine, the display is fine. Just, it's really thin card stock. And this is a deck builder. You're going to be shuffling this. I (laughs) I suppose you never are shuffling it. But rarely, yeah. You're going to be you're you're going to be handling the cards a lot. Yep. And y- Even if you're, you're not shuffling it, you're going to be handling it a lot, and they feel light and flimsy. Yep. And I would really prefer it. There's a whole lot in the box, but I prefer for those to feel less flimsy. Yep. And, and, and the dividers bother me more than the cards themselves, personally. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think they're going to hold up to wear very well. I agree. Another issue I had with the components, by the way, is some of the... The game comes with a number of tokens. There's tokens for player number, for life, for two nemesis have their own set of... Well, three nemesis have their own set of tokens that are side tokens. And then there's also uh, tokens for power cards, which is the nemesis use, and for um, charges that the allies use. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's it's a fair amount of tokens, but it just bothered me that, for example, the charge tokens and the power tokens, they couldn't be double-sided so that I don't have to find a specific one. I can pull one of those and just have to be <laughs> double-sided. You know, it doesn't really matter. You could just mix and match. It It doesn't matter, but they could have been <laughs> double-sided. It yeah. could have been double-sided very easily. Yeah, they did that been. same sort of thing for many of the other tokens. Mm-hmm. Why weren't those double-sided? <laughs> that would have been a much better plan, in my opinion, for doing that. And, yep. I don't know, I just having having all those chits for <coughs> life also, running around with all those pieces for life, you, you start the game with 10, 11 tokens on your board, and you fill it up slowly. Uh, I, I, I feel like the game, especially for the charge and the power tokens... 
have you seen the crystal gems like you have an escape for example mm-hmm. i feel like including a bag of those instead of the charge tokens would have done a lot to help with the view of the game instead of having a whole bunch of those cardboard tokens i feel like it would have looked a lot nicer if it had had those acrylic gems than if it had all of those little cardboard yeah. tokens I-, I will say it doesn't bother me as much part of the reason i think is because i instead of uh starting with 10 health i start with zero and i treat them as damage and i count up to 10 and so it tends to not be very cluttered until the end of the game and humorously even i do better humorously yeah. i do that for dealing damage to bad guys instead of yeah. But I do it for life for my characters. I have it be life. Okay. The, but if I owned a copy of the game, I would immediately chunk all of those and try and replace it with dice, with yeah. D6s, just because that's annoying. Yep. And I don't want to turn this into component bashing, but the last thing I want to mention is I found the the life wheels uh, frustrating. One of them is, is that a, so it's a spinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's a life spinner. <laughs> they're so which it spinny. shouldn't be you know you're supposed to turn it to the current health but sometimes when i would put one down it would change numbers as i put it down which is kind of a little bit annoying same thing mm-hmm. that was the same problem with mine also it it wasn't tight it did not hold well yep so yes we're doing a fair amount of component bashing yeah we are and, and probably well deserved i think so but uh let's move on to the gameplay Well, I think I talked about this in the rules. There's an interesting gameplay idea that your deck is never shuffled. That whenever you're done, you can turn your deck back over. Albert, out of curiosity, did that make a difference to you strategically? Uh, A little bit. Sometimes I would... uh, There's some cards that you could buy that if they're together, they're more powerful. So I would... As you discard cards, you could discard them in whatever order you want. So I would put it so that cards line up better together. Um, Mm -hmm. But it didn't make... Other than with that card, I think it didn't make a lot of difference. I never really. Yeah, I think that's like one card. Yeah. That does that. There's one specific card that says if this is the second one you draw this turn, you get some extra power. So for those, you clump them together. Mm -hmm. Other than that one card. (laughs) There's another card where it mattered for me. There's one card that you could buy and you destroy it, and you could also destroy two cards out of your deck, out of your discard pile. Mm -hmm. I, I would. Not buy that if I had a bunch of powerful cards just discarded. I, I would try and buy it after I discarded some some weak cards. I hear what you're saying. I think but, that it also makes a difference because you can sort of space out your powerful spells across your deck. Yep. Because then you don't get a handful of powerful spells. They're they're spread out, and they sort of stay spread out. And there's a limit to how many you can play. So, you know, that being said, it, it, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference in terms really of the gameplay. Doesn't. But it's nice not to shuffle. Boy, it's it nice, not to, nice shuffle. not to shuffle. <laughs> so I think you know, I think it's a great mechanic because of that. Who cares if it helps the gameplay? I, I suppose that's <laughs> true. I was more thinking about it from does it make a real difference? Yeah. It's especially annoying because there's one of the nemesis that can cause you to have to shuffle your deck. Mm-hmm. And if your deck gets shuffled, because the way it spaces all those out like spacing out the more powerful ones, is because you buy them slowly over time. So they sort of slowly get in your deck. But if they get clumped together, it is hard to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's really hard to fix it. So you end up with more powerful turns and less powerful turns. And when that happened to me, I played one game where I had turns where I would do, I think I did 30 points of damage in a single turn. Yep. Because I did one turn that was full of nice. super powerful spells. And I could just throw them all down because it doesn't cost anything to play them once you have them out so i threw them all down i did 30 points of damage in a turn 
picked it all back up, did another 20 points of damage, and in one turn, I literally just killed him, and I hadn't been dealing with them before then. Yep. So... One thing I liked was the, <sighs> the breaches. Um, that's something new in this game. It's You have, like, four slots in which you can cast spells into, and some of them start open, usually only one, uh, but that depends from mage to mage, and the mm-hmm. other ones, you gotta slowly open them. And the process of opening them... Of, of turning them until they become open, you could cast spells to them, or or once they're open, you could always cast spells to them. So so there's limits to how much spells you could have anyway, but it sort of ramps up nicely with the the rate at which you buy the spells. Like you're not going to start mm-hmm. with many spells, so it's not tends not to be an issue. And it also means there's a lot of interesting decision with how you're buying stuff because the mm-hmm. same points you use for buying stuff is what you use for opening up stuff. Yep. So yeah, I, I think the gameplay is great. I really do. I liked it a lot. Oh my! Yeah, I the agree. Gameplay. I like the the way the game feels as you're battling the the boss guy. Um, again, a lot like Sentinels of the Multiverse. I I don't think it's as much variety as Sentinels of the Multiverse. The but then again, Sentinels of the Multiverse has a lot more bosses. So maybe that's it. Has why. a lot more bosses. It does. I also feel like having a lot more cards. I I feel like there's more cards and more distinction in the different decks and Sentinels. But I think that's probably going to come under overall impression mm-hmm. making that comparison. Yep. The the individual mages that you play, they they didn't feel that different, even though they all are, are different. They they Which have is different probably a part ability. of the theme. Yeah, well, I mean, they have a different ability um, that you could cast. They have they have a different start card. The makeup of your deck could be different. There's some that have more damage spells. Some that have more more money at the beginning of the game. They're just different. They they have different art, and the breaches can start in different states. So, so there's quite a bit of variety, and, and yet it doesn't feel different at all. Right. Each of them have, like, one signature card, and then a different mix of the two different types of basic starter cards. I quickly started to just expand my deck, so it didn't really make that much of a difference between the different types. Mm-hmm. Each of them also have their own special ability that makes a difference. It wasn't like in Sentinels, where every deck feels very different. What changes is based on what's buying out in the middle. So each individual character's theme didn't make that much of a difference. And with the Nemesis, again, there's a lot of different basic cards. And it really often ties into the same type of thing. Bash them until they're dead. Yep, basically, yep. Um, An interesting thing is that there's very, very limited ways to heal. Damage tends to be permanent in this game. Yeah. Um, the, The first character I played with the first time could heal and and so i didn't realize how how tough that was but then after that the next time i played a game i picked somebody else and i was like wait i can't heal well let me buy one of those healing cards oh wait there's no healing cards i can't heal (laughs) i had a a bit of a panic at that moment but it works out fine it's balanced all right so so that's not really an issue um most games end up being pretty close how about the theme let's move on to the theme because i think that was the theme um Really? Okay. I, I don't enjoy the theme, personally. The the fantasy setting, the that world of that kind of dark, apocalyptic setting. I, I don't know. I just didn't find it interesting. It reminds me of the video game Heretic, which I think we've talked about before. I don't um, think much of the theme came out to me. I mean, you know? I, I, I read the one of the Nemesis cards. I read through. I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it's mostly just sort of a mechanic justification. Okay, I, I never read that the flavor text in the back. It's got a lot of flavor text in the back. The it's big just powers. mages. To, to me, it's just magic against a bad guy. 
Okay, it yeah. could have been anything. It's it, it feels like a very generic theme to me. It didn't give me a sense of world building. Yeah, my my first thought when I saw how the breaches work is, oh, this is a lot like Magic the Gathering, where you're you're connecting to different lands and draw, drawing mana from them. The breaches are almost sort of like that, but again, you, you don't get a strong feeling of it. But I did not find the theme interesting. I would have not picked this game up at the store based on the theme. No, somebody lent me this game. Said, oh, you should try this for the podcast. So I borrowed it, but um, I, I had no interest in it whenever I saw it at the store. Didn't even look at it. Mm-hmm. So yes, I don't. I like the generic wizard theme. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's maybe a different in our in our types. Yeah. I like generic wizard theme. I'm okay with being able to cast magic spells and beat the bad guy. I just think that there wasn't really a sense of world building involved. To me, it's generic magic against generic bad guys. Okay. It's different than it's different than in Sentinels because with Sentinels, I really feel a sense of world building yes. and a real affiliation with the characters and a depth to them that you can't get out of here. And again, it's because it's a Dominion style play. Your deck is not your character's deck. Your deck is a mix of all the cards that are available to everybody. Yeah. So it's hard to get a set of theme and world building out of that. I, I agree and. And and honestly, for me, that helped, I think, because I did find that the, the backstory they'd provided was just a turn off. So, okay, so, so let's move on from theme. The solo versus multiplayer aspects of this game, is it worth it only for solitaire play? Well, noting for solitaire, the, the rules actually say that you can play it either multi-handed or you can play it with one character. And when you're playing with one character, normally heroes get four turns every round to the nemesis's two turns every round when you're playing solo true solo you get three turns every round to the nemesis's two darn i missed that <laughs> I was albert do- that worked in my favor because it was much easier no wonder <laughs> albert are you kidding no i was going four to every two so yeah so the way the turn order works is th- there's six there's a card one per player or more per player, and then two for the nemesis. And you shuffle the cards and you play around, you draw the card, and, and whatever card you drew, that tells you who goes. I suppose that section of the rules is not really bolded, that you only get three player turn order cards. Mm-hmm. But yes, you only get three. Okay. Well, that would have made it more challenging. Um, it would have, Albert. I think I probably won 75 or 80% of the time, so it would have been a lot harder. Definitely. Well, there's different difficulties for the different nemesis. I don't mm-hmm. think you, I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, and so, but so the level six nemesises give me trouble. The level four nemesises don't. <laughs> okay, and, and so so barring the difficulty of the game, the I think playing single-handed solitaire works really well in this game. Agreed. Um, As does multiplayer for me. Yep. Playing multi-handed also works well. Two-handed is the maximum, and it only really works well because I have a chair with wheels. One at this end of the table, one at this end of the table. Yeah. Go over here, play, go over here, play. <laughs> I think I wouldn't want to do it if I didn't have a little bit more room because it does take up a good, I'd say probably 15 inches in order to get enough space for a character. It it mm-hmm. takes up a full table playing solo. Yeah, yeah, it does. and. And I played it two-handed once. I wouldn't have tried it three-handed after that for sure. It worked fine, but I didn't feel that had anything to my game. So after that, I just went back to one-handed. I don't feel like other games. There tends to be more synergy between the players yeah, and interaction. I didn't. I didn't feel that here. Granted, I only played it that way once. 
It's um, not like Big Book of Madness, where the whole game is about the interaction between the players. Uh, there's a lot of interaction in Big Book of Madness because a lot of character spells tie into other ones. With this one, any card that references ally, you get to do back to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you really start to get more powerful in uh, multiplayer, in in solo rather. In multiplayer, you get if, if you're playing multi-handed, you get a more wide variety of stuff happening each game because you'll have two decks advancing two different objectives. The problem with me doing that is that we're all buying from a communal pool. I will tend to do each hand the exact same because I will say, oh, that one or two cards from this whole pool, which is exactly what I do for Dominion, I will see a combo of one or two cards and I will start to build a deck around those. Mm -hmm. I do the same thing if I'm doing multi-handed. I will still just start to do that same one or two decks and just the same one or two cards and just start building them in. Yep. If the if the characters had more differences outside of their deck, then I think it, there'd be more. Like the um, those unique abilities each hero has, they're kind of expensive, mm-hmm. so you don't do them that often. If maybe there's more choices there, or it was cheaper. I think. Well, that depends on what cards you have out. Yeah, that's true. I don't and know they if that's such a general it. rule. But I don't know. Overall, I I didn't find I was using it most of the time. Most games that the ability didn't come in too much, once or twice in a game. I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I, I, I feel like when I'm playing either solo or multiplayer, with, when, you're playing with mul- when you're playing with other people, um, sometimes I have to have better restrictions on what cards I use, so I use more of them. When I'm playing solo, I feel like there's like tier one cards in the game, and when those come out, I use those. And when those don't come out, I use like the tier two cards. Mm-hmm. But they're clearly cards that I favor over other cards. Yep. Which may hurt replayability. <laughs> Maybe. Stop playing Maybe. with those cards. You know, there's two expansions. If you get the expansions, it's going to add more cards, and that means those other cards can show up less often. If you're randomizing. <laughs> yeah, if I'm randomizing, but it's not like it's a draft. I still will favor some cards. Yeah, yeah. Which means there's some cards that don't see play. Yep. Even though they're out, I don't buy them. Yep. Well, and that's why I like randomizing. It it totally changes your choices. If I'm picking what comes out, them. then you do randomize them. Yeah, I do randomize. You do. Them. Oh, but you get, but you get a you get a set of four spells. Typically, in a game, I will only buy two of those spells ever. The other two decks remain yes. untouched. Yep, I agree. And often, it's the same two decks when they come <laughs> out that are remaining untouched. Yep. All right. So, so overall impressions on this game. What do you think? Not as good as Sentinels. <laughs> okay. I mean, for co-op, there was some unique, interesting mechanics. The idea of not having to shuffle your deck is awfully nice. Coming off of something like Oni Rim, that I stopped playing it because I hated shuffling my deck so much. Um, not having to shuffle your deck is oh so nice. You are correct on that one. Hadn't, hadn't thought about that before mm-hmm. you mentioned it. But playing through the game, I kind of felt that... It does some interesting mechanics for a co-op, but I never really felt a sense of character and purpose to my characters. That said, I do like Dominion. I like playing <laughs> Dominion. I more like playing Trains. So this continues to add more interesting things to do with the kind of deck-building style. And it starts creating... It, it continues to add higher interest and stronger interest. So I like the game. It was fun to play. It was enjoyable. 
probably I give it a thumbs up, but not a very strong thumbs up. Okay. You know, you mentioned trains. I got I got that game last year. I played it with my son. He really liked it. I bought the expansions, and then he never went to play again, which yeah. is such a shame because I liked it a lot too. I found that game was really fun personally, and right. ended up getting rid of it. It's such a shame. But anyway, that's that's that is beside the point. I just wanted to bring that up. Between component difficulties and the fact that it just doesn't feel sturdy, and the fact that the mechanics are very mechanical and it doesn't it doesn't really evoke <laughs> a sense of story to the game like it would with Sentinels. I kind of feel like I'd prefer something more like Sentinels when I'm when I have a deck of cards and I'm fighting a bad guy. Mm-hmm. My my personal opinion is it's a fine game. It's a fantastic solitaire game because it plays so well single handed. Um, but I. I don't personally care for the game. Um, not because of the gameplay, because the theme just, again, didn't come through for me and I didn't find it a, a, an interesting theme, so I didn't buy into it. And The component quality was an issue, but a bigger issue for me, and that we didn't talk about it, is I found the setup and teardown tedious and, and burdensome for this game. Um, More you, so than for other deck builders? Yeah. Be- it reminded me of um, Thunderstone. The way you have to build an enemy deck, I found that very annoying. Every time you pick an enemy, you now, you now have to shuffle in. You you get three different levels of cards, and there's three of each, and then you got to shuffle in some of the base cards and different number per level, and then mix it up and stack them in the right order. And by the time I've done all this, it's like a good fifteen or twenty minutes, I think. I swear. And <laughs> and then could be. shuffling out the random player decks and or plant cards available to buy and all that was a pain. And then finally at the end of the game, I could sort all this back I mean, out do you have it all sorted by the player by the dividers i do you know even even though it's sorted it's still i don't know i just found it frustrating to makes me not want to play it. it it probably wouldn't be so bad if i played two or three games in a, in a single sitting but but being a person with limited time i played one game and then have to put it away and and so that does makes it too much of a hassle i don't know I didn't find it too much of a hassle to shuffle all those together. I don't, I don't know if it's because of the sorting method I mm-hmm. use. I don't know. Oh, it I didn't find it, it to be too much of a hassle. I'd rather, I agree, I'd rather have it be that a Nemesis deck is a full Nemesis deck rather than having to mix basic cards with a Nemesis deck. I would really prefer for Nemesis decks to be like a full enemy deck like I would have in Sentinels. I feel like it would give me more challenge and difference between the different ones as opposed to having it always be i always just want to avoid extra bad effects and it it, a lot of the nemesis feel similar because they use a bunch of similar cards Mm -hmm. yep that's right i I, it's funny that we compare this to sentinels so much because it's nothing like sentinels and and yet it, it it keeps reminding us of the game in so many ways it doesn't look like it it doesn't feel like it it doesn't play like it and yet it's just like it (laughs) <laughs> and both of us did it too without right? having discussed that in advance which, which i find amazingly strange but you know there you go it's it's that's what it is so so you keep your eyes talking about sentinels you say okay i'm gonna get the game because i love sentinels and you say it's nothing like sentinels why did they say that it's nothing like it and then you say <laughs> and yet it's just like it i don't get it they're right but they're wrong so <laughs> i don't know it's a it's a strange thing all right so it sounds like we're giving it overall a weak thumbs up I'm giving it neither, uh, or oh, a thumb, okay. a neither or a thumbs down. I I found it a very big turnoff. I'm gonna return this game to the owner, and I'm happy if I never play it again. Okay. 
Well, I'm happy to play it again. I I enjoyed playing it. I like the Mm -hmm. mechanics. I like everything involved in it. And so there you go. Yep. And and I do want to say, even though I'm personally giving it a thumbs down, I think it's a fantastic game that somebody should look into. If you could get past those issues, I think the gameplay is really good. Alrighty, so that's Anne's End. Huzzah! But Albert, what's it missing? Nothing. Nobody will ever know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably Cheetos and a banana peel or something like that. Oh, God. (laughs) I don't think anybody put banana peel in there. Not once did anybody say banana peel. Weird. Just weird. And, you know, if your word ever did get picked, you think your word might have gotten picked, let me know. Send me an email and I'll send you your dice. That offer is still there. If you think your word might have gotten picked. Yeah. If you think you submitted a word and you think it got picked, I'm I'm gonna honor that. All right. So thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. It definitely was different. All right. Let us know what you think. Talk to us again. We'll hear some more feedback. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening. Oh, one last thing before we close off for the night. Uh, We've closed the one-player podcast participation entry contest, which, again, we're giving away a $15 gift certificate to a random person who both participated on the poll and left a thumbs up over there. We're going to do a random draw, and it is... L. Eads. uh, Lynn Eads, who I believe has submitted a number of words on the uh, podcast and has been a participant and so we're very happy she got drawn go ahead uh, reach out to us if you hear this and let us know and we'll send you off your contest rewards thank you everyone for all your participation we'll talk to you next time bye bye off air for a sec <laughs> I think we need to work on what it is that we're doing for this four minute overview thing because you were doing way too much I can't stuff help it it's gonna be there. hard don't we'll, we'll learn we'll learn just keep we'll going. learn Okay. Leave this on the air if you like.